0: So that started well, hey everyone, it's episode 104, the start of something and the end, uh, just some live caller rapid reaction to Ron DeSantis' uh, announcement plus Twitter space, which I think after the glitches were worked out, um, I think, it, I mean, he acquainted himself pretty well. It's an interesting discussion where it was kind of like a round table. And uh, that is something we haven't seen. I liked a tweet from a guy named Mike Solani who said, it's interesting to hear a presidential candidate say stuff again. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking back to four years ago. I'm like, yeah, we really haven't. Um, I wrote today at Spectator, and if, and if you've heard my podcast today, I warned against this very thing that uh, happened, uh, which was Twitter not stress testing their servers for the amount of people that might jump in and join Elon Musk blamed it on his own account, saying that uh, it it basically straddled his own account and that's what caused everything and whatever. None of that really matters. The media have their story. Um, I don't know in the long run if, you know, a 10 to 15 minute technical glitch is really going to matter, but it's going to matter for headlines and that's all they really care about. Um, If you have a lot writing on a candidacy... Uh, as he does, you can't really roll it out that way. So do I think it's the end of his campaign? No, absolutely not. I do think it's funny that the the narrative yesterday was that, why is he doing this on Twitter? No one's going to tune in to see it, to, oh, his campaign is over because now everyone's talking about this thing that happened on Twitter. Speaking of technical glitches, hey, are we done? I'm working. I had to wrangle some Frenchies there for a minute. Uh, before I take callers, um, and I know I, I said this today on the podcast, but if you haven't listened to the podcast, if you're not a subscriber on Substack, um, last week, call in this app that we are all participating on at this moment was acquired by Rumble, and I had said that I, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant for me or the future of doing this with you uh, or, or anything else. And then I found out this week; I didn't know exactly what that means. And it's that this is going to be coming to an end. We're going to be winding down versus media on Colin, probably starting uh, in June. And so I know I said tonight that this is most likely the last episode, but we'll see. I may decide to just fucking go marathon and, you know, go tonight, tomorrow night and Friday and just really wrap things up and kind of go out uh, in a big blaze. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. If we can get everybody in, then I may call it uh, or I may come back for an encore. Um, But uh, Versus Media is officially ending uh, through the acquired of Rumble. And I, as of now, do not have plans to join Rumble. Maybe in the future. We'll see. Um, But a few things before I jump into stuff. I said today on the podcast that I think what's been great about Colin, it'd be great if like David Sachs developed an, a, a listening app that worked instead of Twitter Spaces, you know, that's that was my way uh, way too inside joke listening to the Twitter Spaces with David Sachs is uh, gosh, if only you had an app where this mostly works. Um, but while we have like a ton of people here, and uh, hopefully this doesn't crash, um, I just want to say that when i started doing this i wasn't sure about it i was i was terrified like every time i was firing up an episode just because this is a new format for me it's live it's unedited um i I don't take pre-screened callers everyone just lines up in a queue and i've got to know some of your avatars and stuff and every once in a while when i see it when i see a strange one i'm like okay what's this one going to be about or whatever um but it was unique, and it's something that I learned to really enjoy. And I've I've learned to enjoy getting to know a lot of you, um, either just through listening, uh, some of you speaking, or what have you. And the thing I like about this app is it really is an app for social media in general. It's not an app for a select few people in media or in culture to sit there and say things and interview each other, and you all have to sit there and listen. And for Far too much uh, platforms like Facebook, platforms like Twitter, platforms like Instagram. It's more of a, um, a select few of elites or celebrities or media gatekeepers or whatever who believe that social media and platforms belong to them and you were just supposed to sit there and enjoy their content. And I believe the exact opposite. Um, when I was working with Call in the beginning and they were suggesting me to interview guests and some of them were really well-known people. Um, I immediately push back and I said that, that that's not what I do and it's not what I want Colin to be. I want Colin to be a place where um, normie people who generally don't have a platform can come on and talk about their own experience, their own expertise with things. And um, in that way, it's just been such a fun learning experience. I know it's not always pleasant and I know, um, you know, people kind of go on and on sometimes and stuff like that, but Uh, Just a few of these episodes uh, have been so great, and I I point to one in particular that genuinely sticks with me, and it was the school shooting episode after Uvalde, where I think it was Ted Cruz came out and said, you know, we need basically a federal mandate to make schools all one single entrance. And of course, the usual lib cool kid media brigade, uh, led by, you know, bullshit artist Tim Miller decided to get on Twitter and go, how are you gonna mark all the schools? Well, like one entrance, it's impossible. My prep academy has like 30 doors. And we got on call in, and I think I took calls from about 15 to 20 people. And and I know it's not a, a poll or a percentage, but every single one of them have kids and every single one of them said that they picked their kids up from a school that has a single entrance for that very reason. And it's one of those where you see real people get a chance to talk back to these kind of bullshit narratives that guys who make a lot of money, like Tim Miller off of this kind of stuff, um, are just flat wrong. And that's been the joy of calling for me. And that's been, you know, I hope interesting for you. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to, you know, two teachers, one in Texas and one in Colorado about, you know, what's going on in schools and what's going on at the border and people at, in border communities who are like, yes, I have people like camped out on my lawn right now. <laughs> and so that has been the value of call-in. Um, and, and I hope somewhere along the line it, it, it picks up that way. And even Twitter Spaces to me has kind of become a place where, you know, a select few of Elon Musk's friends gather to talk to each other. And to me, social media is not about talking to each other. That's old legacy media. That's older punditry and older conservative punditry in particular, where a bunch of smart dudes get in a room and you're just supposed to sit there and listen while they just talk about how smart they are. And I think that that form of punditry is dying, which is why you don't see me doing a lot of it. So I wanted to kind of get that out. I wanted to say thank you to the people who have participated and obviously people who have listened and kept uh, the show up towards the top of call pretty much since launch. I, I think we I, we hit number two at one point, uh, only behind Bianca Joy Gray, who is just not going to be defeated because I think she's on here every single night. So that to me is again has been the value of Colin. it's it's you guys. It's not me interviewing people. It's not even me to a certain extent. It's social media belongs to you. It does not belong to a select class of media pundits, as you know was thought for Twitter prior to Elon Musk buying it and i think that that's something that i hope you take with you and know that uh versus media is about us versus them it's not about you know me just ranting and raving so again thank you um we're just going to jump in we're doing rapid reaction your first thoughts to desantis over on twitter uh over on that other app over there um i'm going to try to get to everyone tonight but like i said i know i said this is going to be the last episode uh, but I think I'm probably just gonna go out in, in, in a blaze of heap and glory here so we I may be back tomorrow night and Friday so if I don't get to you tonight be sure to jump in the queue tomorrow I will try to get on pretty much the same time uh, I didn't I didn't kind of want to announce that I just wanted to say this was the last one and then surprise everyone um, but pretty much I think June June first is it uh, so we have a few days still so Depending on interest and if I can get to people, uh, I'll be back probably tomorrow and Friday and we'll go out in a huge bang. And maybe we'll just do a three-hour marathon we all get shit-faced on Friday. I don't know. So for now, we're talking DeSantis' launch. We're talking about his launch video, what you think of him now as an official candidate. We already have a response from Trump. And this is why I don't think... I don't necessarily think that uh, DeSantis' 20-minute glitch is is that huge of a deal, because here was Trump's response. Quote Rob, my red button is bigger, better, stronger, and is working, parentheses, truth, yours does not, per my conversation with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, soon to become my friend. I don't know. Um, I, I look at this and say you got two choices. One is that, and the other was a twenty-minute audio glitch. And I and I do believe that this is a two-person race uh, for now, at least. I mean, who knows? Things change. Um, but as I said on the podcast, and I've said here, there is going to be one alternative to Trump. It's not going to be six or seven. And right now, DeSantis is that alternative, uh, polling-wise. So rapid reaction. Let's see what you guys think. Uh, I'm going to scroll back here. I see a newbie. Uh, so hold on a second there for the rest. Uh, glad I haven't seen the data car before, so maybe shot surprising. And welcome to one of the final episodes. Thank you. Sorry. I just have to go hide from
1: my kids. Sure. That. Okay. <laughs> I'm unmuted. Okay. All right. Um,
0: just, just put, anyway, just sh- just do say... what I do with my, my pups, is just throw them in a broom closet. Just shut the door. <laughs> throw some Cheerios at them and leave them alone.
1: That's, that's kind of what I'm going to do right now. They're behind a baby gate. It's fine. <laughs> um, first, I just want to say thanks for all the call-ins. I never really ever got to join live, but um, I loved listening to them afterwards, and I loved listening to all the regular callers too. And so um, I just wanted to say thanks. It has been really great. Um, And I have wanted to ask you a question about Ron DeSantis um, for a while. And it is just how do you think it translates with him not interacting with kind of like legacy media and just like regular non-online people just seeing headlines, bad headlines all the time in a general, let's say. He wins the primary.
2: Um,
0: I don't know, because it's never really been tried. I know that, you know, going back to 2012, Newt Gingrich, you know, got applause from the debate stage for hitting the debate moderators. And of course, Trump in 2016, um, as well, kind of didn't really hit media as much as he just kind of sprayed a fire hose of bullshit on him. But Trump is a willing participant with legacy and mainstream media, as we saw with CNN. And so he will call them fake news, excuse me, and he will do all of that stuff. He will do all this performative stuff, but he will then uh, go and leak to Maggie Haberman at the New York Times, which he will then turn around and criticize the New York Times. And it's a symbiotic, toxic relationship. The thing with DeSantis is I truly believe he's not interested in uh, D.C.-based journalism as it is, because I think he understands it, and I think he understands the motivations of the people in it. And so... Um, a classic example is, you know, when he was holding an event in Time magazine or 60 Minutes was trying to do a thing, he turns right on him. And the difference between him and, say, Trump is DeSantis is very knowledgeable about these events. He's knowledgeable about in culture. He's knowledgeable what people are talking about. Um, I think the this, this parental rights movement is a possible silver bullet. Um, That is, to me, a message that can win independent voters. And he said that on Twitter Spaces. He said, you know, even parents of Democrats, they don't want their kids going to elementary school and being called a racist. Well, maybe Democrats, who knows? Um, And so I think he understands, at the very least, the motivations of those people. And so uh, this idea that you must appear with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, You, you must uh, interact with Tara Palmieri from Puck News, or they're going to do a hit piece on you. Well, what we've learned dating back to about the year 2012 is they're going to do a fucking hit piece on you no matter what. And so, why would you give them the time of day? Some of us, going back to our earliest writing, have said to GOP candidates, stop engaging with these people. Um, there are other avenues of communication where you can go, you can bypass them. One is Twitter Spaces when it works. One is YouTube. Uh, One is where people are. uh, As much as I hate to say it, one is TikTok. I wouldn't use it, but, you know, they might have to. And so there are avenues to avoid them. And when you look at the popularity of legacy media and you see that outlets like Vice are shutting down, BuzzFeed is shutting down, um, they're cutting jobs out of, you know, places like the Washington Post. This is not, you know, the year 2008 anymore. And so I think he's young enough. I mean, he's only 44. So he's come of age in this, you know, digital age of media and, and alternative media. So I think he gets it. This is not 78-year-old Donald Trump still reading the physical copy of the New York Times every morning to see if he put it, got the quote that Maggie Haberman put in for him. And this isn't Joe Biden, who still talks about, you know, record players in 1923, And so I think that that is a strength of his. And so can he do it for an entire campaign? I don't know. I I mean, if I don't think you're going to see Ron DeSantis on morning Joe, and you're certainly not going to see him on there 41 times. And I think that that's a larger and more. Yeah,
1: um, I, I agree. I I think it will be really interesting no matter what. And I did think during his little twitter spaces thing today his knowledge is really um i think was kind of the highlight like when uh david Sachs was just talking about bitcoin he had like a really well thought out answer and
0: yeah because it he knows about bitcoin. really yeah i mean yeah, he it knows
1: seemed to come really naturally so he
0: he knows what bitcoin is he knows how it's utilized Um, he's, he, and I think he looks at it from a policy. He's like, okay, what is this thing? I need to, I need to find out what this is. So I'm going to learn the ins and outs of it. And I'm going to figure out, is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Um, he's, I think he's the only guy talking about a central currency, a central digital currency. And I I think it was a Washington post or someone in the New York times who said, oh, he's going into conspiracy. And it's like right there on the world economic forums website. And so he knows these issues, and I think that he has a grasp of them. Is that what Republican voters want? I don't know. I genuinely don't know what they want. Um, They might decide to just run it back with Trump again. And, uh, I mean, okay, that's what you guys decided to do. Um, But, yeah, he's very articulate on issues to a point to where, you know, Trump can't really keep up, and that's why you get Trump – bragging about red buttons and Kim Jong-un that doesn't mean Trump can't win because we've, we've seen all of this shit before but the difference is is Trump is doing this against the most popular Republican governor in the country and he hasn't done that before and when he started attacking DeSantis two three months ago there was kind of a visceral reaction from people who aren't his hardcore followers going dude what are you doing like what are you doing I don't think Trump has attacked Joe Biden once And so putting all of this effort to go after a guy as opposed to Trump could run a successful campaign and say, I've been there. I know how to do the job. It was relatively peaceful when I did it. And we had a roaring economy. And now you don't. And so you can either run the risk with the Disney Mickey Mouse guy or, you know, you can put me back in there and we can have that roaring economy again. Trump's not doing that message because he doesn't know how to stay on message. So. That you're, you're absolutely right. But that goes along with just DeSantis being a modern guy. Again, he's in his mid 40s. So he is in touch with things that, you know, generally people in their 40s, 30s and 20s are in, which is Bitcoin. And then figuring out, OK, are we going to can we use this? Do we need to regulate this after the Sam Bankman free catastrophe? What are we going to do with this? And so you don't have to agree with him on it, but you cannot hit his uh, breadth of knowledge on these topics. I'll give you one last yeah. word. And I'm
1: going to try to okay. run through. Sure. You. Yep that's great um I guess just my last word was Sam, whose daughter is going into first grade I would definitely choose DeSantis just because he seems to be the only one who actually understands like the fear parents have of sending their kids to school and having some psycho teacher try to inject them with hormones or show them a dildo or something so I think like (laughs) you know um from that perspective, I think he really gets it. And from like a, a woman with young children, I think that will resonate more than anything for independence or suburban women, quote unquote. So thanks so much, Stephen, really enjoyed the call-ins. Have a great night.
0: Thanks, Dan. Thanks for jumping in before we go. I'm just, rapid reaction, go ahead.
3: Hey, Stephen. Well, that was something. I uh, I was trying to get into the Twitter. It, space it was something, and, yes. And the Twitter app kept crashing after about thirty seconds. So, like, well, uh, Elon Musk does like to test things live, so you you get what you paid for. Uh,
0: some of us called this. Someone said, I mean, some of us have said in the beginning since Twitter, he has a very, he has a policy or at least a personal philosophy of let's just try this and see if it works and then fix it later. And that's how he's been governing Twitter. And I mean, I don't, again, I don't think four five, six months from now, we're going to be talking about this, but this is not, uh, if you're DeSantis, I don't think you can put your, your campaign launch uh, in the hands of that guy. And at least, you know, I think you say we need to make sure everything is fucking stress tested before we start this. And, Do I blame him for that? No. But this this is going to hand a lot of ammunition, at least to Elon Musk's critics who said he got rid of all the people at Twitter. I can imagine someone like Ben Collins is enjoying his night. And so I guess that that's going to be on Elon Musk. But uh, this isn't about Elon Musk. This is about, you know, a guy launching a presidential campaign and a guy who's the only guy within double digit polling of Donald Trump. And so. Yeah, not great. Do do I think it got better and settled down? Sure. But we I think we all know that if you go and look at every single headline right now, they're not talking about Desantis's answer on Disney or disposed floor.
3: Yeah, I, I was thinking about as this disaster was unfolding of what what would be considered success. And I I look at the Twitter space and I go I doubt anybody on Twitter is really going to be swayed one way or another. The They're already kind of in their camps of the very online. Yes. If you don't uh, like him, then this I, I, was
0: a disaster and his campaign is over. Uh, if you are rooting for him, you say, look, they broke the Internet. It crashed. I saw someone say it would have been a disaster if it hadn't crashed. Uh, OK. I mean, that's political spin. Um, but yeah, this is why I I didn't really comment on most of it because you're right. You saw everyone just jump into their corners and, you know, I'm sure, uh, the Lincoln crew is probably cutting ads right now because they need Trump and they want Trump. And, um, of course, the Washington post is, you know, and Fox and everyone else is hitting him, but he's going to go on Fox news tonight with Trey Gowdy. He's doing two segments. And I think that that's probably going to be what most people actually see. So,
3: yeah. And I think, I think the the big metric is going to be what happens tomorrow when the 24 hour fundraising numbers come in. And I think that will be a much bigger indicator of how this launch is going because you'll notice Trump did that after his um, indictment in New York and it was paltry.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And people also, I mean, he's sitting on, a mountain of cash. So, is this something that he's going to probably overcome rather quickly with ads and states? Yeah, probably. Um, again, it, the the thing that was interesting to me is the narrative went from "no one's going to hear this." Why are you doing it? To well, everyone's now hearing about this because you screwed it. And it was kind of like, well, no, it's if you, you, they're still only talking about about three hundred thousand people um the first according to Joseph Wilson from Fox there was it nearly topped at 700,000 listeners before it was shut down due to the technical issue so that's about a million people um that's not chump change um but yeah you're right that everyone's going to use this in their own way to either write him off or prop him up or whatever and i'm kind of as the guy who said you probably shouldn't have this happen because it's just not a good thing. of course i wrote it and then i said it on the podcast and once again i've been proven correct Um, is it something that I really think is going to matter? I I think probably not. I mean, this is going to be a long fucking slog. Okay, this is all we're going to be talking about pretty much now until next November. So everyone, I think, needs to probably call.
3: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's going to be an interesting slog because I don't think – Trump or Biden is going to be ready for the amount of work DeSantis can put in. Um, currently, as far as I know, as governor, he spends about four to five days a week traveling around the state doing various things. So he is able to he is able to do those things. He's able I believe he was going to hit up all counties in Iowa so that the youth factor is not going to be insignificant when introducing himself to people and watching that that momentum build.
0: Uh, I agree with that.
3: And it's a
0: physical campaign is what's important. And as I've said, and what Hillary Clinton learned, and what I think Donald Trump learned in 2020 is people vote for who shows up. And so you're absolutely right that I think that he is going to put in the work... And what's interesting to me is you have, you know, someone like Nikki Haley, who's out been campaigning now for, what, two months, and her needle isn't moving. And that, to me, is indicative of what kind of race this is going to be. If DeSantis goes up or down, uh, it doesn't mean that a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley is going to slide into second place, because even polling polling today still shows them in the single digits. And that's not really a slight on Nikki Haley. I think she'd make a fantastic president, Um, but it is very clearly shaping up to be a two-man race, at least for now. And so um, I think guys like Sununu and Christie or whatever, they might look at this Twitter spaces thing and go, oh, gee, now's my shot, and whatever. And it's still just not, the polling's not there. And you're right that once the fundraisings come in, and, of course, he, he has ads ready to go rolling out in, in some of these states like Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, that's going to be the indicative of, you know, what when he actually gets out and starts talking to people, and, uh, there's a reason why he's sitting at a, you know, he's sitting at a, within an arm shot of Trump. It's because people in the Republican party like what he has to say. So when he gets out there and he starts talking to crowds, he starts talking to voters, it's going to be real interesting to see. And of course there's going to be journals there. And this, I think DeSantis is very good at picking his fights with journalists. He's very good at, you know, he'll, he'll have a question yelled at him and he's very good at putting that reporter on the spot and that's the that's the laser like precision I talk about. And he's and again, he's more knowledgeable than Trump just going fake news, you're fake news. And that to me I think is going to be attractive to a lot of voters. But you know, who knows? Right now, trending in the United States, hashtag disaster. That's pretty good. I'll give him that. D E D E S A S T E R. Scott, I'll give you one quick final word.
3: Uh yeah, disaster is amusing. Yep. I think he's got one heck of a slog, but uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch a presidential candidate that isn't going to talk about tax cuts, but actually talk about things that are relevant to people who are who are not nearing retirement. And yeah, that I think that's going to be interesting and who just flat out ignores the media. I don't think they're really prepared for just the freeze out that's coming for the next year he's
0: frozen them out for months which is a big reason why they write he's not ready to handle us or handle prime time pieces and his and his polling hasn't budged in in places that it matters scott thank you i'm gonna go ahead and move on i'm gonna try to get through as many we're probably gonna go for about an hour maybe a little bit longer like i said uh if there's interest i will be here probably
4: tomorrow and friday and we'll just go out with a bang matt I think my my rapid rapid reaction was, um, I know it was a Twitter space. So you're not talking to the people who are watching cable news, but take everything out of it. If you just sat down and listened to that and you're sitting in Iowa and New Hampshire and you're not on Twitter and you just listened to that whole recording, I think the opportunity that was missed was I don't know how he's going to fix the country, so to speak. He touched on a couple things. Um, I think one thing he leans into way too much is he ties everything back to Florida. And I get that. That's like way hit for him to show success and his examples and like his case studies, but he needs to, I think, speak more to the broader, uh, electorate to say, Hey, if you don't know who I am and you're sitting in Iowa and you're an independent, um, this is how I'm going to make your life better. And he just didn't do that. Obviously this is his early days, but this is kind of like his announcement, um, he kind of in his like opening speech, he talk, touched on the military, a lot on immigration, which is like great for me to hear. Um, but I don't think his message is really crisp in terms of, I'm going to make everyone one's lives better and improve the quality of life of this country and get it back on track by doing these three things. I think the kids thing, the family thing, and putting like the responsibility and the ownership back into like the families when it comes to education. I thought that was really good. Yeah. I think the stuff that he's awesome at, and that like Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, fucking Kamala Harris can't do is he was able to tie and link everything from his experience as governor, and then tie it back to how things operate in Washington. He did that with like the central coin. He talked about that from the, um, from the education standpoint when he was talking about, I think it was like a mission standards or whatever. And he just is a really smart dude where if you get him in a debate with anybody, he is going to basically be able to articulate and explain things that are really easy to understand. And he doesn't overcomplicate it, but he's very specific and articulate. And I just don't think anybody – he just needs to get on the debate stage with Biden. I think the problem – the opportunity is I don't know how the fuck he's gonna cut through like a twenty five percent of Trump's like dedicated base. Like I don't know how you peel those guys off at all. Um you may not you may not, the you may not that... need them.
0: Yeah. That's it, it, I mean it, that's the honest truth and if I'm DeSantis's people, you don't look at it that way. You don't you, I mean Carrie well, Lake state did you get through the primary Miller? Kerry Lake's statement was uh, in Arizona, I don't want John McCain's voters, and it cost her the election. Right, it arguably cost her that election because that's where people like, okay, fuck you, then. So you you don't insult them, you don't uh, you don't overtly show aggression, but I think you look at it and you say, you know, we don't need his twenty percent of voters um, because we're going to bring in more independents. Um, we might bring in Democrats who actually genuinely think, and I know a few who actually genuinely think fucking Trump getting the nomination again, he could win again. So in open primaries, you're going to get Democrats who might vote for DeSantis. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know. This is, you know, this is pure speculation on my part, but I guess I look at it and say, I agree that Trump has a following that they're never, they're never going to leave him for anybody ever. Like they're never going to do that. And so if you know that going in, And if you know what the numbers are, at least, and if if it's like 12, 13, 14 percent of the electorate, uh, as far as the GOP base, then you know that you can replace that. And as I said, yeah, the primary is important. But when you say he needs to get on a debate stage with Biden, I mean, I I guess I look at this and I say this general election, if it's DeSantis versus Biden, is four states. It's Georgia, it's Arizona, it's Pennsylvania, and then it's one of others. It's Michigan, Wisconsin, any of those Those are your three states. And you go down the line and you say, can Trump win Georgia? Probably not. Can Trump win Arizona? Probably not. And that's all she wrote. That's the end of the election. And that's kind of the hard truth people in, you know, states that don't matter, uh, they don't really want to hear. Now, there's usually a state or two that comes close and surprises. Um, I think Oregon, believe it or not, could, could be something that's kind of in play. The question, is DeSantis smart enough to go to those places? Is DeSantis smart enough to go to California? you know, and say, look at your shithole state that Gavin Newsom has given and 650,000 of you have chosen my state instead. So obviously
4: he's not going to give that message, but you get what I'm saying. And so Trump, Trump, Republicans in the United States are in California. I think it's like six and a half million or five and a half million.
0: So does that mean he's going to win California? No, no. As I said, you know, People vote for who shows up and Hillary Clinton learned that lesson that, you know, Trump went to Wisconsin and people are like, what the fuck is he going to Wisconsin? And then he goes to Michigan and be like, what the fuck is he going to Michigan? And, he, and it's just simply because he showed up and she didn't. And so if Biden thinks that he has certain states wrapped up, you start to look at some of those borderline states and you say, I'm going to go to that fucking state or you bluff and you spend a lot of time in Wisconsin. You get by these people going, why the fuck is he spending so much time? On Wisconsin? What's our polling look like? You know, And that's all you do. And so it's, it's all about just kind of outmaneuvering these things. I think, yeah. what, I think what DeSantis did, you brought up Iowa. And I think what DeSantis did by going to Des Moines after Trump called his rally off, I think that that's going to have a bigger effect than a glitch on Twitter spaces.
4: hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the glitch was anything, I think, I mean, it was, it'll be headlines for Politico, but it's going to be forgotten about in a in a month. People are just going to either not know he was on and go, what are you talking about? Or the people that knew he was on that are going to not vote for him because of the glitch, they were never going to fucking vote for him because of the glitch. Um, I think the other thing, too, is, and you and I kind of disagree on this, because I think you always say Trump, um, I think the one thing, the one message that he needs to bring up more often is Trump is a one-term president and they're gonna make his life living hell. You need a youthful guy who can be in there for eight years because of how fucked up things are. And I know how to maneuver Washington, Trump couldn't. I need. We need eight years, I can do the job and I can deliver results. Trump's a one-term guy, and he's not gonna get anything done. Why are we wasting our time with that? And I know Trump, you always say, Trump will say, no, they owe me another term. Russia. He blah, will absolutely blah. say that, and he'll probably say he it will, during he the will campaign. He will. Let him say. Let him say that. Then let him say <laughs> that. I think that's the one tactic that I have not heard anybody, anybody fucking any of these candidates say. The guy's fucking got literally. He's got two years. He's got. He's a. He's a two and a half year president if he gets in because the fourth year is not going to do fuck all. So I don't know. I think DeSantis is a smart guy. He's very strategic. Um, he, he thinks, he's a thinker. You can tell he assesses everything. And he, um, he's the only shot at, at the GOP winning this. He's literally like the only, only fucking shot. Like all these other people are just basically letting money on fire, um, running for president. So, uh, he certainly is right now. I mean, I would
0: agree with that. I mean, I do not underestimate Donald Trump's chances of walking back into the White House. But as I said on the podcast, very much like Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump is baked. He's you're not going to get any. There's not a single person in this country who's going to change their opinion of him. And if it's Joe Biden again, people are going to be like, yeah, he's probably going to fucking die uh, (laughs) a year in. um, But at least we're going to be able to get some sleep. And it might genuinely come right down to that.
4: And I know the tweet that you liked and actually must reply to is some dude that I see occasionally is like, it's great to hear like an actual politician talk. That is that is the headline from this, because the guy can talk. He sounds relatable. And if you put Nikki Haley up there to Kamala Harris, like none of these people can give you a straight fucking answer or sound conversational or interesting or knowledgeable. They just give you this put any of them on a Twitter spaces, you are just going to get like, you're just not going to get a very interesting conversation. So
0: I, I think, I think there is a clear distinct Trump candidate and a post Trump candidate. And I think that that's maybe the largest distinction between somebody like this, John you're up. go ahead. We still got some time. So I'm going to try to get through as many people as possible. We have a huge queue. So if I don't, um, just keep your eyes open for an point.
5: Yeah no, I, I only caught the end of it. Um, uh, I didn't realize what time it was happening at but uh, so I, I missed the, the glitch and the, the crashing earlier. Um, uh, my, my just initial reactions having not actually sat down and listened to DeSantis at length in any videos, I was just very impressed with how and every single issue that came up, he not only uh, he not only was aware of it, uh, but also uh, didn't just describe what he did in Florida, but when asked what he would do at the federal level, he gave precise, concise answers about how he would actually achieve particular goals at the federal level in a way that didn't come off as overly white paper or overly, you know, think tanky. Um, and so the impression I just got out of that was, you know, the Trump fan, the Trump fans say that Trump fights. Well, it seems to me like DeSantis actually knows how to win. Um, you know, he's going to take the fight to it, and, he, and he's got the chops to be able to actually... Uh, implement um, the goals that he has. And so I, I thought that was very impressive. And if he can um, translate that uh, into kind of a, a wider, uh, a wider message that goes beyond kind of a long form dudes chatting podcast space. Um, I, I think it'll be very, very effective.
0: I think his message of we need to break this culture of losing is a very effective one behind the scenes with donors, um, with people who might endorse him. And uh, I don't want to say establishment or anything like that, but just behind the scenes, uh, I think that that's, I think that that's a very good message. And when he says that, when he said he's clearly referencing Trump in some ways, but I think he's just referencing bad candidates and who are all obviously Trump endorsed candidates. Um, And Trump's usual retort to that is, well, I didn't lose. I'm not losing. That election was rigged. And that's the part where people who I think back Trump, you know, not in a cultish kind of way, not in a, you know, I'm with you to the end kind of way, a paid consultant kind of way. Um, I think that that's when they, they want Trump to just, you know, say, so, and he doesn't. He just says, no, nah, it's, it's rigged. Everything's rigged. And he's going to, of course, say that if Trump loses Iowa to DeSantis or if he loses New Hampshire, if DeSantis starts racking up wins, that's when Trump's going to go absolutely fucking nuclear. And This is what, you know, if I'm a campaign advisor for DeSantis, I'm like, you better, you better put a bunch of fucking dudes in a room and come up with the most insane shit that you can think of. If you need to get drunk on vodka or shots or whatever, you need to sit down and say, what, what is the craziest fucking scenarios of things Trump is going to say or do? And nothing's off limits, nothing, nothing. And you start game planning for those. (laughs) And so, and all the way down to the realistic things that that might happen. And so Trump will start screaming that the primaries are rigged, and then he's going to say, I'm taking my voters, we're going to write in, and he can't, obviously, because of sore loser laws. Um, And that's, to me, again, when rubber meets the road about, uh, we're going to learn a lot very quickly about how this race is going to go. And so um, I, I do agree with you. He's articulate in a way that we haven't heard from other candidates, and I think he I think he knows the issue. He picks the right issues that I think people are genuinely—they may not care about—but they're genuinely affected by. Uh, if you have a—if you're a parent and you have a kid in school, you're—you're going to listen to what he's saying uh, because then you're like, "Yeah, holy shit, this is happening at my school." Um, I think his message on COVID is going to be extremely effective if he goes there correctly, um, and so he has things that I think he can hit that everyone experienced. So, I mean, there's not a single person either listening to this or in, uh, in this country that wasn't affected by COVID, the lockdowns, businesses closing, and then riots being allowed to happen, all being egged on by our national media. And so if you can hone that message, and there's people are saying this was two years ago, nobody's thinking about it, uh-uh. People are thinking about what the government can do going forward. As we saw Biden try to use the OSHA mandate and then he tried to use it to to forgive student loan debt. And Biden's just going to make that go to the Supreme court. So he can use that to continue hammering the Supreme court. And so the issue is not, we need a reckoning on COVID. The issue is we need to make sure that this never fucking happens again, ever period. And I think that that's probably his strongest selling point. And Trump's going to have to defend his record on a lot of this stuff. And no, not all of it is Trump's fault. And I do give leeway for the fact that we didn't really, we hadn't gone through this before. Um, But the simple fact is that they got a lot wrong. And until we, you know, account for that, DeSantis is going to be from from a place of strength on there. He had an interesting answer in the Twitter space. And this is what he's good at is, but this to me can also be used against him. When he was asked about Disney, he said almost no one made more money for Disney during the pandemic because I'm the guy that fought to keep their park open. And I think that that's just a home run. But people are going to say, oh, so you made more money for Disney than anyone. Oh, but that grooming company. So that's an easy comeback. Um, He has very clear strengths and he has uh, he has some weaknesses, but his weaknesses are not as glaring as some other candidates in, in the race. Nobody is talking about Tim Scott today. And I, I don't think people are going to talk about them going forward. And this is where you know a guy like Chris Sununu or Liz Cheney or Chris Christie—they need to seriously sit down and go: Are we really going to go through this, um, or w- w- do we just sit this whole stupid food fight out? And so th- those are the options right now. I'll give you. A, what... Yeah.
5: Um, uh, since I didn't hear the whole thing, um, uh, one thing I'm just kind of wondering about, given I've I've heard a lot of uh, commentators kind of commenting. On on the uh, the fact that uh, the only way to beat Trump is to go directly at him, right? Uh, that you can't kind of go around him. And I and I don't know if he actually addressed uh, uh, why he should why people should vote for him instead of Trump, um, and why he should be elected, uh, you know, over Trump, why Trump isn't qualified, or why Trump is a bad choice. Um, and so I'm just wondering, uh, you know, unless we have Chris to get in and actually do the right thing by doing a murder suicide debate against Trump, um, the 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 way that Sanders is, is going here, it, it seems that, that there's glancing blows and, and kind of you know implied comparisons with Trump. And if he's running for the if he's running with his eye on the general, then it seems to me that, that he's kind of uh he's kind of maybe being very deft here um in in really just showing look, look I'm I'm appealing to you on what I'm gonna be running for in November, uh, rather than uh just trying to pander to the base. But I I don't know what you think on that, uh and whether and how much he has to directly Uh, make the case against Trump or whether doing that just makes him into the alternative Trump and there's really nothing to go on.
0: I think he has to make Trump defend his record as president in particular on COVID and Anthony Fauci. I think it's that simple. Yeah. I was not going to go. The thing is, is the nickname and stuff like that. I think that takes care of itself because, You had a lot of people and voters who when, you know, Fox is interviewing him and they're like, we're just over this. It's funny when it's Jeb Bush. It's funny when it's a guy you don't really like. But when it's kind of the face of I mean, people forget DeSantis is really kind of the face of Joe Biden's COVID policies of being the guy standing up to all of that. He's the guy that had the Grim Reaper on the beach, you know, telling people they're going to die because of Ron DeSantis. Trump was largely absent for a, a a lot of that post presidency, Trump was too busy golfing, and so that allowed Desantis's profile to raise, which is gave him the, you know the ammunition and the profile that he needs to uh, run this campaign. And so I don't I don't think going right at Trump I don't think, you don't have to go like Margot Rubio you know small hands whatever too late. I just think you have to you just have to basically make Trump defend parts of his record that are questionable in the sense of if we put Donald Trump back in office, is he going to do whatever unelected bureaucrats tell him to do again? I think it's that simple. And Trump, he can scream Mm -hmm. on true social or whatever, but it's really going to come down to a debate stage. And Trump has said he's not going to participate in debates. And I don't think people are going to go for that. Um, I, I think Trump is counting on the fact that he can carry you know, 52% of the vote again in a plurality. But I think it's a different dynamic than 2016. Now having idiots like Asia Hutchinson jump in the race or Chris Christie jump in the race, guys who have zero shot um, and don't use their big brains like Pompeo and Larry Hogan, that obviously can split the plurality. And, you know, when you count up right now, all the candidates that are splitting two, three, four, five 5% of the vote, uh, DeSantis, you know, it, that's assuming they all go to DeSantis. You see a two man race. And so, I don't know about being the alternative to Trump. I think it's I'm the alternative without the drama that gets shit done. And here's my record, and it's that simple.
5: Sounds right. Well, anyway, Stephen, thanks for all the call-ins. It really sucks that it's going away. And uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to you again if you do, you know, some some grand blaze glory uh, thing on Friday or whatever.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, it's uh, I just when I thought about it today. Um, when I said I was going to be the last episode, well, they said to wrap up for me. So I think I can get a few in and if the interest is there, then, then why not? So again,
2: thanks for that. Samuel fire away. Yeah, I'll I'll try to be brief. Um, I feel like every, like I'm not going to pretend that I don't think that this was a massive fuck up because I do like at the end of the day, it just seems like a risk that wasn't necessary. But I feel like everyone's treating it like number one, you only get one first impression. And then the fact is that this isn't his first impression. He's not some unknown. Um, And number two, they're acting like this is the one and only campaign. They're like, go shake voters' hands. Like, you you think he's not going to be doing that? And like, if you look at a schedule, so he did that with Musk. He is on Mark Levin tonight on radio eight thirty. I didn't know that. He's on, he, and he's, he's on, on with Trey Gowdy right now. So that's yep. that's, and then that's where my night goes. I have to go back and watch. And then he's on with Eric Erickson tomorrow morning. And then there was somewhere else on radio. He's going to be tomorrow morning as well. So it's a full on media blitz for him. So like, and, and again, they're treating like, well, this was his announcement, and they kind of build it as such. But it's not like he's going to go on Trey Gowdy and not say, I'm running for president. He's going to say, yeah, I'm running for president. So I just don't think it matters that much. I feel like it's kind of similar to the Iowa caucuses in 2020. Granted, that got kicked out of the news because of COVID. But like, if you remember, the Dems completely fucked up their caucus in Iowa in 2020. And two days later, it was out of the news, even though it was like a historic fuck up. Um, And really just kind of the last thing I wanted to note. Uh, Tim Scott raised $2 million in about 24 hours, according to uh, DeSantis' press secretary, Brian Griffin. And this is on the campaign, but this is what they're saying. They say that they raised a million dollars in the first hour. So, I mean, we'll see if that if that's a one hour uh, peak or if, um, you know, tomorrow we find out he raised 20 million dollars over the first 24 hours. You, you also have to um, consider
0: people were going to uh, do that as soon as he launched. They don't even give a shit about the Twitter space. They were just waiting for the official launch. He launches the video and it's like, okay, I'm donating. And that's
2: it. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, and okay, let's see here. From DeSantis' campaign manager, um, they said that they – had 1 million people trying to get into the spaces room. Again, I don't know if that's horseshit or not, but that's what they're saying. It's the only um, way they can spin it. But I, they can say the interest was
0: so high that it crashed. And, you know,
2: and that's <laughs> like, I,
0: that's good. I, I mean, it's, it's, you weird. can argue it's legitimate. I look at this and say we, he was being warned. This was going to happen. And those of us who've been it's paying 100%. attention to how Elon, how Elon Musk runs things, um, we we warned you not to do that. At least don't do it as a launch. You know, do it as an as an event at twelve. Just it as do as an event. Launch. Yeah, do it as an event at twelve noon on a Wednesday after you've launched, and then you give Elon the platform. I do think it was interesting that it turned more into like a typical Twitter space with DeSantis as the guest. So I I mean I don't I don't really think it really helps or hurts in the long run.
2: Yeah, I just think it doesn't matter. I think they could have avoided it, but. Again, in a week, we'll be talking about something else and everyone will have moved on. He'll have raised a bunch of money like there was even wait, wait, wait um, until he simply... goes on Joe Rogan. Oh, see that. And he'll be the only one who goes on except for maybe Trump. But I don't think Trump would do it. But like they're not going to invite Haley or Scott because like one of the previous callers, they're just fucking boring. Like I, I like Tim Scott. Uh, I liked Haley. She's really kind of been pissing me off recently. But like I would still vote for her. But she's definitely not my first option. Like, neither is Scott. And again, DeSantis just raised half that, half the amount of money Scott raised in 24 hours in an hour, allegedly. He's going to have a ton more by tomorrow. He already had like 80-some million in the bank from his governor's campaign that was unused that can be transferred to a super PAC. They're already talking about all these Wall Street donors who basically are saying he's going to have unlimited funds, which is going to be end up being correct. Um, you know, his super PAC is going to raise ungodly amounts of money. So like,
0: I that- do, I do think the tech bro billionaires club getting behind him is interesting. It just, the dynamics of it, mm-hmm. it feels like, it feels like a moving on. Uh, you know, we saw Peter feel obviously with, you know, masters and Lake and all those candidates and then feels like I'm done with this. I'm not fucking pissing away more millions. And then when he was asked, what about the He'd go, Oh yeah, I'd support him. And it feels like, a bit of a turning of the page that you have guys like Sachs, musk whatever and holding fundraisers and putting him in you know and i think a lot a lot of it has to do with his COVID stances and the vaccine stuff and the you know the masking and whatever um but i do think it's interesting that those are the people that are kind of throwing their weight behind him because trump doesn't have that and he you know that's a very forward way of thinking so um I I don't know. And I I don't really have any specific things to add to that, but it is just interesting that he's getting that demo. He's getting those guys
2: behind him. Yeah. And I, the last things I'll say is just, um, yeah, I mean, if if this was the price you had to pay for, to get Elon Musk's endorsement later on, I think it's probably going to work out fine. Um, And I, the last thing is just like everyone who's saying that this is too online, this, this is too online. This is horrible. This is a disaster. Yes, it was probably too online, but you also are too online if you think that this is gonna break his campaign. Look the boomer the boomers who are watching Fox with DeSantis right now don't know what Twitter is, don't know what the hell happened on Twitter and don't give a fuck. So like they're acting like this was too online, but simultaneously him failing too online is going to affect his entire campaign. And it's like, you people need to calm down. It is May of 2023. We have a year of this. You know, we have another year at least. Like, everyone just needs to take a chill pill. But we'll see how it goes. Let's just hope that, you know, something works out positive.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's my other thought is that you better hope that this isn't like a, uh, that this becomes a pattern or a habit. And so, yeah, that um, if it
2: happens again, that will be like a red flag going or just
0: unforced, just a continuous line of unforced errors will be something that people are going to notice. So, yeah. Well, thanks. All right, Samuel. Uh, we'll go for about, we'll go for probably 10, 15 more minutes. Uh, like I said, um, probably look at jumping back tomorrow. Uh, If I don't get to you and I see a lot of regulars back there that uh, I want to try and get to before we wrap this whole party up for good. So uh, if I don't get to you, just note that I'm going to try to be here tomorrow and Friday to, and finally just go out with a bang and maybe depending on how it looks next week, maybe next week as well. So on my week off, even
6: that's, I care. What can I say? Hey, Steven. Um, Speaking of way too online. I I noticed that the Capitol Hill press corps, um, who, by the way, I don't think get nearly enough criticism or disdain that they deserve for for carrying water for the Democrats. um, They were all feverishly tweeting uh, during the technical difficulties. And then I think a Slack channel message must have gone out because they all immediately stopped as soon as it it resumed. And, you know, they they certainly didn't have anything to say about uh, the content. Uh, of the discussion, um, you know, uh, as, it, as it was, but um, one other thing I wanted to to note was um, I just don't think that Trump's base, which everybody seems to estimate is 38% roughly uh, of the voting population is, is that strong. Um, I, I know that he has a very loud uh, group of people online and, you know, out in public, but You know, just from personal experience, everyone I've talked to who supported him in 16 or 20 doesn't want him to run again. And there are a number of other people who think, well, personally, I'd rather have Trump, but they know that he isn't going to pull in independents or suburban women uh, or people who supported him the first time around. So I just think that that, uh, some of these polls, early primary polls, and I know it's a long campaign, are, are just a bit inflated Um, And, you know, if DeSantis can run this campaign, you know, the right way, as a lot of people have discussed here tonight, I I think he does have a good shot.
0: So I just saw someone on Twitter say, boy, a a boring option that isn't Joe Biden sure sounds like a winner to me right now. Yeah, I, I I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, it's just do you want do you want to go through the shit with Trump again? And some people say, yeah, because he was robbed. And whatever he's our greatest president and that's all fine i've i've taken to not arguing with people about that anymore um but that's it it's really what it is and it's not a you know see i told you so tour it really is just and i wrote this at spectator i don't think trump knows why he's running again he had he's not putting forward any real new policies and this is not the same country it was even four years ago and so i look at this and say well he's running for him he's running to basically avenge a loss that he doesn't think he lost and he was robbed. And again, you're probably going to hear during I said, I joked that he would do it once he's in office. I get a third term. He's going to do it during the campaign. He's going to say he's, they're going to get it out of him. Either, some, you know, media is going to ask him a question, you know, flat out to get him to say it like, yes, I want a third term. And then it becomes, you know, do we really want to go through fucking January 6th again? And that's what it's going to be. And so again, I've kind of quit trying to convince They're going to do what they want to do is what I've learned from, you know, the Trump years. And so it's up to them. You know, all I am is I'm the
6: I'm the Batman begins dot
0: gif. That's what I am. I'm not I'm not going to kill you, but I'm I don't have to save you. And that's kind of where I'm at.
6: Yeah. And just the question is, how many of those people realize? Yes, I'd prefer Trump. I'd rather have him, but I know he can't beat Biden. So I don't don't think they get
0: that far. I think I think that they if you're talking about Trump's hardcore base, they believe that the election was stolen. And therefore, they're going to vote out
6: of spite. Yeah. And I, I just think that that, um, that that hardcore base is smaller than than people are, you know, projecting it to be going into the primary. But anyway, thanks. Hope hope. hope. By the way, is Versus Media going to do maybe live on another platform or? I don't know yet. Um, if there
0: was a way to continue doing this um, in a way that's feasible, then I would probably look at doing it. I've considered doing Twitter Spaces um, because uh, I, I would just maybe move over there and do it. Um, but the answer is I don't know. I'm still I'm not over. I, I kind of figure when it was bought out, two things would happen. Rumble would keep it as it is, change the name and keep the platform absorb it into Rumble and keep it as it is. But Rumble is a pretty much a video streaming service Um, or it would just, it would be, it would fold and it would go away. And then I got to notice that it's folding. And so um, they're like kind of, you know, wrap up your, your things. And I don't even know if the app is going to stay. So if, if you have one of these that you fondly remember of, or if that you participated in, then be be sure to record it and keep it for yourself because I don't know. So the answer is, I don't know Um, if I can find a format like this if if substack offers maybe in the future a live format like this um i would definitely consider doing it over there um and so i don't know that's not to give you that kind of answer but i'm still just kind of getting my head about uh wrapping all of this up
6: right on well i'll hop up hop off thanks
0: thanks port uh, what are we gonna do here uh there's a lot of you back there um, I'm most likely, uh, now I'm gonna most likely wrap up with Fay, but we'll see how this
6: goes. Adam, go ahead.
0: Adam, go ahead and unmute your microphone.
7: Oh, or yeah. hey, or, yeah. or the room
0: is just going to
8: crash, and then if it crashes, I'm not
0: coming <laughs> back. That's that's the difference between me and Elon. Is if this room crashes, I'm done. Go ahead.
8: Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was my Twitter Spaces. Uh, you know, just uh, playing a prank on you there. Um, you know, I um, I guess you know a lot of people have said a lot of different things. Um, kind of on my list here. Um, you know, I guess what kind of what's interesting to me is um, just you know how you know he he literally has an answer for everything and how knowledgeable he is on every subject and you know when they they compare you know the media wants to talk about someone like uh you know mayor pete right who's intellectual and Rhodes scholar and all this well i mean you've got someone that went to was it yale or harvard right um he's an intellectual he's a lawyer um an army veteran he's only 44 years old he's accomplished so much he's governor of you know the third biggest state in the country and, you know, all they want to do is make him sound like he's a, you know, a little short dummy or whatever. It's just crazy that people if people actually believe that kind of stuff.
0: Um, you're right that he, he, he just does. He does have he does have an answer for just about everything. So um, it's a question of I think he can get mirrored down and using, I don't want to say too many words, but he can almost get mirrored down and giving too long of an answers and almost too many details. So I think he probably needs to hone in and focus a bit more on some of that stuff. But I mean, yeah, th- to say that these media profiles to say that he's awkward in social situations or, you know, he just, he can't handle this stuff like that. It's And then video comes out and it's just, you, you know what they're doing. And so my favorite profile was one of, um, my favorite profile was the former Congressman who said he would rather go home to his wife than come out for beers. And once in a while, you know, you got to do that. And I'm just like, who the, what? <laughs> like terrible. You're, you're like the media is criticizing him for not hanging out for happy hours. Like what the hell are you even talking about? How does that, re- that to me is one of the things that shows just completely how out of touch Congress and our media is like, they think that that's a bad thing. And that's something that when, you know, somebody hears, he's like, oh, he wants to go home and hang out with his family like I do? I mean, That was a fun one to me. And it was just like, where do you guys think that this is a criticism? And half of those things that they think are critical of him, and this is kind of one of the things of how he got built up. And he is like Trump this way, which is half the time when you're trying to criticize him, you only make him sound fucking cooler. And that's that to me is a kind of secret
8: power that I think he
0: has. And
8: even Trump's run into that. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, uh, I completely agree with that. It's kind of like when they when they uh, tried to uh, pin, uh, pin down Mike Pence by saying that he calls his wife mama in front of his family. Like that's some sort of um, you know, like weird or creepy thing. Like that's that's just common. That's just normal, you know, for like a conservative man to talk to his wife. I I don't know. Mike Pence is kind of a weird square.
0: Let's let's put that one out there. But I I get what you're saying. Yeah, (laughs)
8: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right.
0: (laughs) Pence is another one that we haven't even brought up. That's you know
8: should really be reconsidering
0: if he if he wants to jump.
8: You know, speaking of the Trump, the whole Trump side of it. You know, we've all talked a lot about you know Desantis tonight and. Um, I mean, he's just obvious. I mean, just above and beyond the best choice for where are, you know, I mean, I feel like he feels like he has a duty to to, to be president. Like he, he wants to fix this country. And, um, you know, do you think that when Trump if Trump loses the nomination, is he going to go scorched earth and tell all his supporters like he did in Georgia not to go vote? And we're going to have a bunch of people sitting out the election and all this nonsense. I think
0: he will tell his supporters that
8: the question then becomes: the ironic thing about doing
0: that is if you recall in 2016, those of us who I just said, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump no matter what. It was, well, you have to or Hillary is president. You don't have a choice. And now you're going to have let's let's say in a world where DeSantis is a nominee. And I do think Trump will tell his supporters that don't vote for him. Stay home. Um, and they will happily do that. And if you were to say to them, well, you have to vote for DeSantis because it's either that or Kamala Harris. Because um, Joe Biden's going to, like I said, he's going to fucking die a year into his term, if that. Yeah. And that's just that their eyes are going to glaze over and it doesn't matter. And this is what I've told, you know, you see a lot of DeSantis defenders on Twitter or whatever. And they, they tweet at Laura Loomer 50 times a day. And I just go, they don't fucking care. Like they don't care what you're saying. Like what? So why do you even, why do you even bother with this? Like they don't give a shit. And once you realize that, it, you know, it's, you save yourself a lot of sanity and energy. And so it, it, if Trump doesn't get the nominee, does he go scorched earth? Yeah, absolutely. He'll tell, you know, people to stay home just like he did, like you said, in Georgia. Um, he may threaten to go third party, but we have sore loser laws that Trump won't even get on the ballot in several states. So, okay, do that. He'll say to write him in. Um, Trump could probably get a very healthy write-in vote, in the sense of a write-in vote, um, but ultimately at that point, I just think you say it doesn't fucking matter. If DeSantis is nominee, that's the nominee, and Trump can say and do whatever he wants. So does he go out and actively campaign against him? Yeah, probably. He'll probably still hold rallies and do all of that stuff. And I think as the at that point, when the GOP voting base, if, if they do vote for this guy and they decide to move on, because that's what really a vote for DeSantis is. It's a vote to turn the page. Yeah. And it depends on are they ready to do this? Um, would they do this a, sec, a next Trump loss? Because if Trump loses this one, he's running again in 2028. And I hope people are prepared for that. Jeez. When he's 84, yeah, I mean, he will. And so... Um, And I can I can hear people like even in the audience just going, oh, fuck. And it's like, guys, our nightmare isn't even our long national nightmare isn't even begun. Like this is I like what Jerry Dunleavy from The Examiner says We're, we're in the 1020, you know, 23rd day of 2016. And that's kind of what it is. And so people need to kind of understand that. And does he go scorched earth? Of course he does. It's just at that point, do people listen?
8: That's all that matters. And they might or they might not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I guess we'll see, you know, um, you know, I was going to say one last thing and, you know, I I can't obviously change the rules of the primary and this has been long standing for, you know, how other candidates are. But I mean, I think, I mean, just watching someone like Tim Scott announce that he was going to run for president and the fact that Asa Hutchinson even, I mean, is even still in there and it's been like two months and no one's even said his name, you know, like, what is the point of this? Like we, we know, we know who people are interested in. And I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, um, uh, Chris Christie, for example, instead of putting all his energy into running for president, because he's not going to win, he could absolutely go to DeSantis's camp and just use every, all the dirt. I mean, he's been in rooms with Trump. He's been in, you know, um, the ruthless interview that he caught a lot of shit for, Um, you know, he was, he was on the debate, squad, you know, helping him prepare for Biden. He knows Trump. He knows his ticks. He knows what he wants to say, what he wants. He could annihilate him if he if he, him and DeSantis teamed up behind the scenes. And, you know, Haley could do that. She was in the administration. Um, but they just don't want to do that. I mean, like it's politics. They jockey for position. And when they fail in the primary, then they'll just, you know, run, you know, they'll endorse whoever afterwards. But you know, it's just a shame that, you know, we we're kind of stuck in this weird kind of, you know, people have to pretend to dance around Trump and not support DeSantis. And then when, if he gets the nomination and they support him, you know, reluctantly and all that, it's just, you know, it's a shame. We will get the
0: leaders that we deserve. And it's pretty much that simple. Thanks, Adam. And move on here to Faye. Um, I'm going to, Faye's going to wrap up for tonight, guys. Um, I'm, I'm going to pull an executive decision and I will be back tomorrow night. I know, Chet, I'm sorry. Um, I gotta, I gotta show people some tough love and I know Jacqueline's back there, Little Red, Robert, David, Josh. I know guys are regulars. Um, I'm going to be back here tomorrow night, at least tomorrow. And then we'll see maybe on Friday. So, um, go ahead, Faye, wrap us up. You're a good one to wrap up this one for tonight so we can all get out of here. And, uh, like I said, for those of you back there in the queue, uh, I will be back here tomorrow. So,
7: good evening. Um, I know it's been a while, but I when I heard this might be your last one, although it turns out to have been a clickbaity thing <laughs> yeah, for you to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: I, I did that to just get the numbers up in the room, which they are. There's a lot, well, of, pe- there's a works, lot of people. It works um, no. Um, I, 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 so when I recorded the podcast today, and I said that just based on what I got on. Um, and I did an earlier podcast because I knew this was going to be a longer day, a later night, uh, which it is. And then I, I thought about it more. And I was like, well, if we're not wrapping up until June and it's only the 24th, I still have this week. And so I, I couldn't go back and unrecord it and then repel. I did. I could have, but I'm just lazy. So I decided I wasn't going to do that. Um So, and I thought about it, I'm like, you know what, we're just, we're just going to go out with a bang here. You know, we'll, we'll pull a marathon. We'll all get shit faced on Friday. We'll cry, we'll laugh and then we'll, you know, turn the lights off and burn the place down. So. (laughs) But
7: I I did just want to echo the sentiments of some of your former callers that I've very much enjoyed, even if I haven't always called in, just listening in, it's been a good forum to hear from all kinds of people as you noted. So I'm sorry to see it go away and hopefully something will come up in its place in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I one of the things I try to at least pride on a little bit is just being accessible to an audience. You know, I I know that there's the punditry class out there, and like I said, I think it's more rampant on the right than it is on the left. That they just they they like to hear they like to hear themselves talk in the sense of how smart they are, and when they open their mouths, the organ you know the organ plays and the chirp trumpets play, and some of you might know people that I'm talking about, and. I think a lot of that ironically led to Donald Trump is, you know, these people, you know, they stopped talking to places like college campuses. And when you stop doing that, something fills the void. And sometimes that something is Milo Yiannopoulos. And when that happens and you don't get to sit there and bitch. And that's what a lot of those guys did. You know, when some of that Trump friendly crew started doing that stuff. And I'm kind of like, well, when did you guys stop talking to these people? Um a, a perfect example. And and for the most part, I respect all of these guys. Don't get me wrong. We what was it, two, three years ago, there was a there was a debate between David French, Soab Amari, and moderated by Ross Duthat.
7: Oh yes, I remember that.
0: And I've said this before, but this is just because it's this episode. It's worth refreshing is And like I said, on some level or whatever, I'm friendly with all those guys. I respect them all, whatever. And, you know, you don't have to agree with them and stuff. And I, and I agree with a lot of criticisms on, on all of them. Trust me. Um, but my main criticism is, who is this for? Like, I know that it, it, people went to it and it sold out and whatever. And I thought, who the fuck is this debate? Who's, who is this helping in the conservative sphere? Um, and especially in conservative media, like who, who is this for? Is this for you, the audience? No, this is for David and Sorab to flex their big brains against each other. That doesn't interest me. That doesn't interest a lot of people. And I kind of noted that, you know, you have these three guys who are over here on a yacht debating each other and just like 50 yards away is a makeshift raft with the GOP, uh, voting base or whatever, fucking drowning. And you know what? If Trump's giant boat comes and fishes them out of the water, you don't get to complain when they say, thank you, Mr. Trump, we're indebted to you for saving us. And so that's kind of my biggest complaint with that section of conservative punditry. So one thing, as someone who a lot of this just literally landed on my face, um, I've always just tried to say I want to be more accessible. Um, I want to talk to people. I want to listen to people. So I don't ever become that. Uh, Because as we've seen, when that happens, very bad shit happens. And so I've always just kind of said, you know, don't ever get to that point where you don't have time for people um, or or anything like that. And so I'm 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 my own little independent band off in the corner. So, I'm you know, I'm not selling out arenas here or anything. But that's that's one of the reasons I like this. And it's one of the reasons I like talking to several different kinds of people um, on several different topics because, you know, I put my pants on one leg at a time like the rest of you.
7: Well, uh, we appreciate it. And, you know, in terms of DeSantis, I just have a couple quick thoughts. Um, I was deeply annoyed by what happened with the Twitter spaces. Not surprised, but it was was something that I'll get over. I think ultimately, if you're really concerned about what's important, you will get over the Twitter spaces issues. Um, You know, I've talked before, as you may recall, a number of times about the fact that I work in the legislative congressional area from the federal government perspective. And so I am someone who has become so jaded and cynical um, and hopeless about politicians. And I will never be kind of a fangirl for a politician, but this is the first time in many, many years that I actually have some hope uh, for a politician. And that's why I support DeSantis. And, you know, some things that he's done really well and shown really well are obviously That he is, first of all, there's the COVID stuff, but there are so many people, I think, in the middle in this country. I really think they're out there and I'm very partisan online, but... In the uh, IRL, as the kids say, I'm very neutral because, first of all, I, I do it for a living, so I have to be careful at work. Obviously, I'm not one of these people who believe that you should be using your job to further your political agenda. But also, you know, I just don't want to go around having political fights with people. And I think you learn more by just sort of staying quiet and neutral and listening. And I really, especially in the past couple of years, have come to the conclusion, just based on my anecdotal experience, that there are a lot of people who are out there in this country, in the middle... Who are kind of waking up to what's going on, especially when it comes to children, to how partisan and how these special interests are controlling the country, um, and they're just frightened and not okay with it. And someone said something to me the other day: "They're really stuck." Which was like, "When when did this happen? You know, what was I doing? <laughs> we, I was my wife and I were working, we were raising the kids, but how did this happen? Were we just completely oblivious? When did the country turn into this?" Uh, And I think a lot of people do feel that way, um, but they are scared to say things out loud and for good reason, because, you know, I know you've talked about this, especially with that nurse recently, look how easy it is to get yourself canceled. Uh, And even people who aren't online, even people who aren't as into the political scene are well aware that this is no longer a country where you can express yourself without being concerned that your life can be wrecked. Um, But these people are out there and, um, I think they're they're prime for DeSantis. I also think that, you know, Trump had his good points, but his time has passed, in my opinion. His whole focus is going to be on he was robbed um, and his, his, like, his circus, that time is over. We need someone who is going to identify the problems and say, this is what I'm going to do to work towards them. And I think that middle group who you really need to get someone elected are going to respond much better to someone like DeSantis than that kind of a scene. Um, something else that uh, just listening to the, the Twitter spaces that actually worked, I missed part of it, but um, I heard him talk about some really good things with the kids. Obviously that is a huge issue uh, about not letting businesses control just what they want to do, but something he mentioned that was sort of insider insidery baseball, but that is very important as he mentioned um, Chevron deference and for those who aren't familiar, that's the idea. Basically, that's what the the um, the case that gives a lot of agencies their strong regulatory power. And that principle basically said that when there is a doubt, you defer to a federal agency in terms of its rulemaking. And so there are a lot of agencies, and this is what I see professionally on a regular basis. That's part of the job of some of the teams I pursue. Is to they do some of them do go beyond the remit that they, they should, I think. Um, and so he's got to break that down into language that people can understand. But I think a lot of people do understand that the government seems to have more power than it should. And he's got to keep pushing that and talk about concretely how he's going to overcome that, which brings me to another point, um, that he, something that really makes a strong difference between him and Trump, because I saw this working during the Trump administration, the federal space every day, Um, Trump didn't have a lot. He didn't have good people around him. He didn't have a cohesive team. And I know he always blames it on them, but you have to be self-aware. You have to be the guy who has the people around you who know how to work the system. It's not enough to make your speeches, which I think ultimately, frankly, is all Trump really wanted. He wanted to be a showman in presidency. But you can tell now that... DeSantis surrounds himself by good people, people who not only are competent at their job, but they know the score. They're very savvy. And so that gives me a lot of hope that were he to get elected, he would be similarly judicious in choosing the right people. Because to get anything done in the federal system, you've got to embed your people in quickly And you've got to have people who know how to work the system so that you're not ultimately, you know, we can make all the swamp jokes we want, but it is the truth. If you don't know how to work a vast federal system, and I know Trump has talked, I'm sorry, not Trump, DeSantis has talked about how he might try to pass an executive order that would make it easier to just fire large swaths of federal workers. um, That would almost certainly be taken to court right away, and there is no predicting how that would go. So you've got to figure out how to work the system towards you, and I think he's demonstrated that he's able to do that. Um, And my last point is that I think he has to start talking to an extent about entitlements a little bit. I've seen a lot up close and personal. I think this is what they're going to try to use against him. You know, DeSantis is taking he wants to take your Social Security away. He wants to take your your kids benefits away. Biden is
0: out with a tweet that says exactly that.
7: Well, I'm telling you that I've heard we have to meet in my job with the administration um, and even though we tried to stay neutral, they have been asking us a lot of questions that like, we're, it's clear to us why they want this information and where it's going. So there are a lot of people who rely on mainstream media. Hard as it is for me to understand that um, they do rely on it for their news. And so he and his team have to be really surgical. So in summary, he's got a good head and his shoulders. He knows what the issues are. He's got good people, but he's got to get that message out there. And my my true concluding thought is that the Republican machinery Pardon my vulgarity. They've got to get their collective heads out of their asses. Um, The Democrats ultimately are very good about uniting behind their candidate and getting everybody towards it. Um, We have to have people who are not focused on what is your post-loss pundit career going to look like on the Republican side, which is what it looks to me a lot of the time, like what these people are you know, you're not getting elected president. So why, why are you there except to try to get yourself some position after? Get all the resources, mobilize people. You need to work against this machinery that is going to be working against you very strongly if you want to win.
0: I think it's, you're right. And it's, it's a message that you actually have to care about the reform more than you do your own ambitions. Um, I mean, which is kind of like how I'm in this. I, I joked on my podcast, I turned down obscene uh, positions with places strictly because I was kind of like, I'm not going to go just be an attack dog for X, Y, Z. And um, that might change in the future. I don't know. I might get tired of this stuff and just be like, ah, eh, fuck it. Um, no time soon. Um, the, the, going back to what you first said, Jelani has an interesting tweet. Um, and you go back to like, how did this happen? And I, I mean it happened with COVID. That's the thing is you can't you you can say the pandemic's over. And I've said that like it's I started seeing plexiglass come down now and it's like that's it just happened. Like I don't even get my stupid vaccine card that is is useless now. I've I haven't had to show a vax card in years. And I just was like I I said how I was just at the grocery store sitting in line. I'm like, man, the fucking pandemic's over. Like, you know, like you still see a mask here and there, but whatever. And but when you ask how, when did everything change, it's because we live in a post-COVID world, and and there, that is a reality um, all the way from the from the legislative state to the bureaucratic state to the medical state um, that is still going to be in place. And what happened was, is parents were fine shuffling their kids off to school, even even conservative Republican parents. They were just like, just go to school. And yes, I get it. You're being fucking brainwashed and it's this shit. And then you come home and you can kind of correct course. And it's like, just leave me alone. I'm having wine now, please. And then you shuffle them up off to school and, and whatever. And what COVID showed with Zoom classes and stuff is, you know, when teachers are like going into some critical race theory shit and you hear parent in the background, like, what, what the fuck? Did you just call my eight-year-old a racist? What the fuck are you on? You know, and going into the Zoom stuff. That's that revealed a lot because parents were tied to their kids' education. They were first person there to see it. And that's what woke a lot of people up. And Zed has an interesting point about DeSantis and his strength. And he says, DeSantis isn't really telling the story of how he became a contender. It was during COVID. Millions of kids were locked out of schools despite paying taxes to operate them. DeSantis opened them, was called every name in the book and still stood his ground. And I think that that's that's the distinction he needs to make. He needs to realize how he got to being the one alternative to Trump. And that was pretty much it. He became the face of anti-COVID policies and anti-COVID, you could argue anti-COVID authoritarianism. And then when YouTube, you know, took off his video with Dr. Bhattacharya and the Surgeon General, and it was like, why is YouTube banning, you know, an Oxford professor and a Harvard professor? Like, it's like, you guys started going into the mainstream. It's not like he was out here meeting with RFK jr on stuff over here. Okay. Excuse me. And so I think he needs to capture more of that message. And again, it's, it is may of 2023 folks. You need to pace yourselves. It's (laughs) this shit gets like people are going to start announcing for president a year into the president's term, just for money purposes. And we just have to deal with that reality. Um, but I think that that's where he kind of has to go at Trump. Every time Trump hits him on something COVID related, you just punch him right back. And so, and again, you just say, you did whatever Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks told you to that. I think that that's the argument. And once you put, lay it out like that, I don't think Trump can make a, co- a real cohesive um, argument against it. And so he can say that these were the health experts and I was only following. And it's like, but you're the alpha male, aren't you? Like, Isn't the decision yours as the president in the end to, you know, hear different aspects of this and you have Trump out there saying, you know, I basically did whatever Fauci told me to, and you're going to see those ads and you're going to either see those through super PACs or it'll be, you know, I'm Ron DeSantis and I endorse this message. And that to me is when shit gets real. And that to me is when you're going to learn, is he really in this to win it? Um, He sounded more convincing than Tim Scott did. And I talked about, Tim Scott didn't believe himself like he, he kind of had this air of I don't even really know what I'm doing up here. It's just it's a good moment. It's my time. And, hey, I could probably get a cabinet position or a VP slot out of this. Um, that's how I felt about Tim Scott. And I said what Tim Scott is. He's a he's a guy you elect once the country's restored, you know, and we're not there. And that's just the simple facts of it. And so I think DeSantis needs to remind people about COVID. He, he can talk about how he kept things open and stuff. But I think he needs to really tell the story and say, you guys remember when your kid wasn't allowed to go to school? Do you remember when they were filling uh, skate parks with sand? Do you remember when they were, you know, boarding off basketball hoops? And I I think he needs to re-energize a little bit of that righteous anger. And then he needs to say, and then the media said it was still okay to go out and protest. So not only did you lose your business to COVID, you then lost your business to fucking rioters in 2020. And I think if he channels that, um, I think if he channels a lot of that pent up shit, um, as well as on top of keeping schools open and and saying, I am never, ever going to let that happen as president, ever, um, you know, I think that he has a really good shot.
7: Yeah, he's got to say, I fought for my state and we won and I'll fight for you as a country Um, because I think that's what so many people need not just you know with the medical establishment with everything but everything that's happening with transgenderism with kids i mean i don't know anyone who is fine with walking into target in the kids section and having <laughs> like, here's a bathing suit where you know, you you, you yeah, came but, to target you came with, for them that's like the, the heart of you know white suburban woman to, well, not just white but you know, yeah the thing with
0: it, the, the, and the thing with north face just blew my mind Um, because now they're doing the stuff in the kids section. And I'm one of these guys where I kind of pull back on the, a little bit of the hysteria of grooming and stuff like that. Um, I think you have a valid argument when you make a, when you make it a medical argument, when you start shouting groomer, groomer, groomer like that, I'm kind of like, eh, you're going to kind of lose a lot of people. When you put stuff in the kids section, I see these kids in the section of North Face (laughs) and I just go. God damn it. They're fucking grooming them. Like, uh, you, like, you just say that suits. it's kid like size
7: bathing suits with, you know, yeah. whatever those things are. You can't not call that. You know. It's also, <laughs> I mean, but kids. on the other, on the
0: other hand, it is, it is a, it is a company. They can sell what they want. Um, and you do have a right to not buy. And I do think you, uh, conservative media well, can mean, say, point, Hey,
7: here's, here's
0: what they're selling. Go
7: after Nor- my point is to go after North face or target or whatever. It's to show that like they are reflecting the culture. Ultimately. Yes. They're I would argue that is- their
0: ad teams see what's on TikTok and they're trying to get used, yeah. obviously. They, they they want eyeballs is what they want and they want dollars. And so they think that what's happening on Instagram and TikTok is representative of the culture at large because they themselves are very usually very progressive and they say this is the way that we can sell our product. There is nothing funnier to me than and, we, and we're coming up on Pride Summer now. At first, they had a week. Now they had a month. And now they have the, <laughs> Isn't it like the whole summer. year
7: round at this point. It's yeah. Month. I mean, <laughs> it's,
0: it Pride, Pride Christmas is probably next year. Um, but I think it's funny that there's a call to be more inclusive from companies. And then companies are like, oh, we're just going to make a gazillion fucking dollars off this shit. And they've like corporatized uh, Pride. It reminds me of like what they did to South by Southwest, where South by Southwest was this great music festival. It was cool, and you go down there, and everybody's friendly, and whatever. You might have random hookups or whatever like that. And then companies figured out, oh, we can get in on this, and they completely corporatized uh, South by Southwest in Austin. And that to me is like what companies are doing to Pride. And soon it's going to be you know Pride brought to you by you know Target, brought to you by Burger King. We we have a rapper. And it's so funny that those communities just like willingly go along with that stuff. Like you're, you're selling out your, your, this cause of equality and whatever have you. And I really do think this thing with North Face, I'm like, how, if you are, if you are gay and you are an an outdoor enthusiast and you go hiking with your partner and your dog and whatever, um, how do you look at that thing with North Face and just go, are you making fun of me right now? Like... It feels like you're fucking making fun of me because I don't go hiking in fucking parachute boots and, and six inch platform heels. And Mulvaney did that same thing. Mulvaney cut a video for like the world environmental forum or something where he's stumbling around like, Oh, I'm outside. (laughs) And it's like, well, everything he does is a parody. Like, what are you doing? Because that's what, that's the North face thing. And, And again, it's like, I don't care in a visceral level. And I know people do, but I look at this and I go, do gay people not realize how like how panderous this is? Like
1: but it's
7: it's they're, about they're
0: completely stereotyping you, that this is what you are. And I can tell you, uh, I, I know gay people, I have gay friends, and none of them fucking act like that. And I'm kind of like when when does that become a punchline? And people have argued that they think that the Mulvaney Bud Light thing is kind of a thing where kids go, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> They're like, I, I don't know, this is be, this is going to become a pun. And that always happens with cultural fads. Something is cool, then it gets oversaturated, and then people hate it. And I think we're at that oversaturated. And I do think that that's a point that like someone like DeSantis can make. Um, I, I, I wish that they would stick to the medical arguments of this stuff, because that's, I still to this day, and it was Ron DeSantis, and this is another one, who pretty much genuinely pushed them I think it was DeSantis was the first governor who said, we're not going to allow uh, gender surgeries or permanent hormone therapy for minors in Florida. And that then pushed Rachel Levine and the political left to defend that. And to this day, I have no idea how he managed to do that. But he did.
7: Yeah, I mean, I would just say one one thing, I'll tell you an anecdote in conclusion that just really crystallizes for me what this current administration is about and why we need something different. Um, every agency has been meeting with people from the White House, from the different policy councils to map out the rest of the administration, what you plan to do on an agency level, because they know they're limited congressionally. They're not going to get anything major through. They can't even get a, a freaking budget, which I won't get into that hot mess um but so now they're looking to regulations they're looking to policy executive policy that is what every agency is being pushed to do uh, because that's something they control and so we have to come up with a list of what we're going to do and they come back and tell us their christmas wish list and we go back and forth and um you know even a lot of the agencies who are more operate some of the agencies who are more operational and less political don't want to do this stuff and so it's interesting to kind of like have back and forth and we had this meeting last week and they kept telling us they wanted us to put this one thing on our agenda, which is it's going to publish publicly. And I kept saying, look, like, you know, we're not going to be able to do that. We have no legal basis for it. We have a very conservative general counsel, which is good um, there. We don't have oper- there's no that, that's outside our remit. What you're telling us is not going to happen. Um and we've already agreed to do these five other things that are probably impossible, but we're trying to do them. So take take the L, you know, or take the W on the other things. And this guy who's fairly high up in the administration actually says, okay, we'll just put it on your agenda anyway. Um, I know you're not going to do it, but it's important that we message it to our partners, our advocacy partners. So you're saying flat out that you want us to put something on our, it's called a unified agenda, like the regulations. You know, it's a lie. Um, but the, your whole purpose is to message to your advocacy partners for these special interests that you're looking out for them. That's what your government is about now. And there was just something about it. I mean, it's not necessarily the craziest statement from a political standpoint, but it just got to me. And I'm thinking like, I am tired of having a government or administration that seems to focus solely on special interests and, and delivering everything to your, your little buddies who got you into that's, office. off. Joe
0: Biden's of bread and butter. He's been in Washington for 50 years. And anyone who's okay. shocked when they see Neera Tanden pop up as a special advisor, you're absolutely We're right. Wealth. That's who, That's who he is. And that's the distinction Trump failed to make in 2020. He should have said, Joe Biden's coming in here and saying he wants to change things. And he's been in Washington, D.C. longer than most of you have been alive. And that to me was the fatal flaw that Trump made because Trump can't make those points. He doesn't stay focused enough. And obviously he had COVID, but that's, that was the argument against Joe Biden. It's like, dude, you've been in Washington, you've been in Washington for 45 fucking years. And what have you done? What, what have you done to make the country better? And I mean, if you're, if you were around, even as a wee lad, like I was in the eighties, Joe Biden was a national punchline. Until Obama like picked him off the fucking pile and made him assassination insurance. And I mean, he and to make him into this image of grandfatherly elder statesman, it's a fucking joke. And everything, anybody who's in DC knows that it's a joke. Like he Biden is a national punchline. And, I mean, you, you can make an argument that people just said, well, if we already went crazy with Trump, how fucking crazy really is this guy? And you're right that, you know, I've talked with people and they think that, I mean, this is going to go down as the most corrupt administration in modern history. Just that's all there. That's all Biden and his buddies are about. It's just favors for friends. That's all it is. I mean, I would say this is the
7: third administration it, I'm in, and I've never been in one. Where they don't at least pretend to give a damn about. The oh election. yeah, no,
0: you're right because they don't have to because they know that the media is in their pocket and that the oh, other okay. option is probably Donald Trump.
7: That's why and I want so, Sanchez to stand up and say and explicitly look at what this administration has looked out for. I'm I'm here for you. This is what, yeah. I, not in a pandering way, but just I mean, you know.
0: look at look at the comments on parents alone. Joe Biden's like, they belo- their, their kids belong to all of us as he's standing next, <laughs> to, Randy, as he's standing next to Randy Weingarten. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm the DeSantis campaign, you put Randy fucking Weingarten in ads and you say, you say, Joe Biden is about protecting teachers unions and everything he's done up to this point shows that I was about keeping your kids school open while Randy Weingarten was trying to shut it down and sue me to keep to for keeping it open. And I guess I look at it and I say, I think he's smart enough to make that message. Um, again, he has 18 months to do it, and uh, and I'll give you a quick word here, and we're going to wrap up. But those are the things where you know, at least you say we're hoping for this to happen. And so, you know, if, if he's smart enough to do it, then there's a good chance he wins. And um, it, but if a string of errors like that Twitter launch, which to me isn't a big deal, but if they start to pile up then you're probably just going to say, well, fuck, I guess we're running it back. I'll give you a last word.
7: Oh, I think that was it. I, 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 it's nice to have at least some nascent hope. And I, I <laughs> hope that he, he continues to have good people around him. I hope to like, get out there, talk to the voters, tell them what's important, um, what you're going to do. In, and, you know, fingers crossed, I guess, <laughs> what else is there to say?
0: Yeah, that's never that's never a good politics policy and politics His fingers crossed but who knows
7: well i didn't say that's the only thing you should yeah right it. so i think i would just say everybody has to get out there um and be more active and encourage others as well because the democrats are going to be mobilizing like nobody's business they recognize and i know i don't need to tell you this but they are very aware of the threat he poses um and they will be mobilizing accordingly and so anybody who cares about what is happening to this country needs to get more involved like never before
0: uh, it's it's going to be a slog and a fight, that's for sure. So, and we'll see if people hold up for it. Um, Faye, I'm going to jump off. I'm going to let you go. Um, but uh, it, was, it was good to hear from you again, to wrap things up. Likewise. Um, Apologies to everybody back there in my long queue. We've gone over time anyway. Um, I will be here tomorrow night, and uh, we're going to just kind of, like I said, uh, probably Friday as well, and we will uh, just go out with a bang. So for those of you back there, I know I know I had to uh, boot some of my regulars. Please come back tomorrow or Friday and get in a final word for us here as we start to wind this whole thing down. Um, doing it over a year. So we made it up to, you know, maybe I can get in and end at 106 some odd episodes. Um, but again, I meant what I said at the beginning there. it's It's been a joy doing this and I've, I've loved meeting people even through just kind of an audio weird podcast. And um Uh, Like I said, my hope is that there is some way that I can continue to kind of keep in touch with the audience like you. So we'll see. Uh, This is Versus Media Live episode 104, the start of something. We'll see what that something is, (laughs) if it's uh, something successful or not. And of course, the end as we wrap up Versus Media Live on call in here probably this week. Uh, Again, thank you all for coming in tonight. There was a lot of you, so I appreciate it. Um, And again, thanks to my callers and uh, apologies to those of you. I couldn't get in, but please do come back and I'll make sure to kind of bump you up to the front uh, in these last two nights. So once again, have a good night. And uh, we're officially kicking the uh, silly season is officially launched. So buckle up because it's uh, it doesn't get much better uh, than it is right now. So take that with you and uh, use it and go out into the world. Good night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow back on Substack and back here tomorrow night. Cheers.